Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with my brilliant, amazing, beautiful, incredible, um, all the positive adjectives sister, Jennifer White. I love just all the positive adjectives. All of them that apply. Yes, they all apply. Um, So grateful for you and for doing this podcast with me. And I'm sorry that my intros have been so dull when I just like, here you are. There's no no hurt with that. Totally fine. People should know that you're you're awesome. Um, Okay, brief uh, chit-chat topic before we dive into our podcast. Uh, Latest, uh, you know, TV watching. Are you binging anything recently? Anything good? Uh, I mean, I don't on a routine basis watch a lot of TV, but like on New Year's, I binge watched Schitt's Creek. Uh, we definitely um, do Great British Baking Show. We did a lot of that. Like nice. when Wednesday came out, we like freaked out and binge watched that like in order. <laughs> um, so like we're still waiting for the next season, which is not for a year. Uh, what about you? So I guess the opposite of binge watching right now, where um, my kids are into Percy Jackson. So one of one of the kids is like read all the book, like all the Rick Riordan books Mm -hmm. and there's like a thousand trillion of them um and disney just created a new a new percy jackson series redoing the whole thing (laughs) and they're coming out every week so we've been watching them the opposite of again is like when they come out on tuesday wednesdays i forget but um we've been watching them as they show up but they've been good very nice yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure, again, people are not here to listen to us. Babble, <laughs> on to the so, interview. <laughs> um, on to the interview we go. Welcome, Stephen Miller, back to the podcast, along with a new guest to the podcast, Daniel Landau, here to talk about their stories as well as a new nonprofit called Men's Helpline. Stephen, Daniel, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having having me back. And yeah, yeah. Thank you and for having for those, us. <laughs> for those who don't remember Stephen, we very strongly recommend that you go back to episode 133, where we talk about male factor infertility and mental health issues. Um, Stephen, do you want to give a recap about your your story? Yeah. So um, my wife and I had struggled with infertility for about seven years, and We bounced from like three different clinics. Um, It was, yeah, it was a very much a very roller coaster kind of journey for us, as many can probably attest to. Um, But it ended up, we ended up in a clinic in Missouri outside of St. Louis. And we ended up doing like four rounds of ank banking because my Wife had, you know, struggled with um, diminished ovarian reserve. Um, I had, you know, male factor infertility, so we had the the dual factor. So a lot of um, obstacles in our way. And the clinic we went to was very, you know, very helpful and very positive in, you know, saying that we, you know, we could, you know, possibly get pregnant and stuff. Whereas other clinics had given us a fifteen like, percent chance. Um, 
so like with the creativity of them like we ended up doing four rounds of egg banking and then we had one transfer um that did not work um that was probably i think the lowest part of our journey um and then the following month we kind of went back to the drawing board and did some additional testing and in march of 2018 we had transferred two embryos and now my boys are five years old. So um, congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah. They are definitely uh, giving me a run for money, but um, yeah, I like, it was kind of like, you know, a couple years afterwards when I started kind of reflecting back of that whole journey of like, like, there was a lot of things that I noticed that were missing, like for mental health. Um, There's not a lot of resources for men. Um, There's hardly any podcasts, hardly any like information about the mental health side. And it was right around that time that I started the MSW program at UW-Madison. And I started thinking, you know, of like, you know, what, what could I do with this? You know, like, what could I do with this experience? And that kind of led me down to where I'm at now, you know, is, you know, getting this, you know, this nonprofit up and going, get, you know, getting our programming, our peer to peer. It's something that has been very passionate for me for, for a while now. And honestly, like from where I'm sitting, like I have a piece of paper of like all the things I wanted to accomplish regarding this space. And the number one thing on top of the list was nonprofit for male infertility. And when Daniel and I got connected on LinkedIn, I'm like, this is a dream come true. <laughs> like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it felt like this is like the space where I felt like I can make the biggest impact, you know, like, you know, for, and we can, awesome. we can get into that too. But I was yeah, going to say, so it sounds like that's a great lead in to Daniel. Tell tell your story and what's brought you into this sphere and space. My story is I'm now married seven years. And before I got married, my wife and I did genetic testing. And we found out that we're carriers for two of the same genetic conditions, which meant that we had to undergo IVF with PGD pregenetic diagnosis. So uh, we moved from the United States of America, where fertility treatments are extremely expensive, to Israel, where I am now currently sitting and fertility treatments are actually covered here. And so we moved here, we went through the process of, uh, of doing IVF. We did a round of IVF, was successful, did an embryo transfer, went through, it was, it was great, everything was going well. And then 12 weeks into the pregnancy, my wife and I experienced a mis- miscarriage. And when that happened, I was just completely devastated. I was rethinking who I was as a person, yeah. where I was gonna live, you know, what I wanted to do for a living, my marriage, my relationship. I was in a dark place. I had no resources to turn to. I didn't know who to speak to. Uh, My wife, on the other hand, had all the resources in the world, friends, organizations, support groups, you name it, she had it. And to top it off, I had a boss who, who really just didn't care. You know, at the end of the day, her reaction is you have a job to do. And, um, you have oh. you have to do your job. Didn't even give me the time or space to grieve, and I and I said I can't do this anymore. I really realized that there's such a need for men to have a space to really grieve, process, raise awareness when it comes to dealing with the stigma 
And there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make, to normalize this conversation. So at that point, I was looking for more fulfilling work. And uh, I went back to school to get my master's in nonprofit management and leadership. And in that master's program, I actually, one of my courses was called Project Workshop. And the project that I took on was creating a support group for guys who were dealing with miscarriage and infertility and stillbirth. And it was very, very successful. And then talking with you know, my professors and everything, I said, this is my idea. And they said to me, wow, this is absolutely incredible. Nothing in the world exists. It's like a, a blue ocean and it just hit me. And so from that point, after working for nonprofits and doing fundraising, I really just launched the organization with hopes of, of changing that and giving men a space to talk, to have, to end the stigma, to raise awareness and to provide that safe space for men on their journey to, to fatherhood. And in addition to that, you know, just end the stigma, normalize the conversation and to take the burden off the shoulders of women. Men can handle it and can be part of that conversation. That's our goal. For both of yeah. you to, you know, go through something terrible and then take it and try to help others who are experiencing it. Uh, so tell us what your vision is for the nonprofit. So our vision for the nonprofit, I'll read you exactly what, um, what we just actually changed our, um, our, our mission and our vision, but our vision over the next three to five years is that men's Healthline will be an established voice in the infertility and pregnancy loss conversation in the United States, that we're driving a broader cultural societal shift in how we talk about, understand and support men going through these challenges. That is our vision within the next three to five years that we're normalizing the conversation. More and more guys are talking about it, getting the intervention needed, going through early intervention treatments, getting tested, and being part of that conversation, that it's normalized, that the stigma comes to the end. See, the interesting thing is, is that I had gotten a few articles from a doctor at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and they had done research in 2017 and 2019, talking like really about like the decision-making process with couples going through IVF. And what they were able to show was by including men in the conversation in these appointments, it led to great greater psychological well-being for the couple. And even going a step farther back, Ali Domer had done research where like one of the number one things that why people drop out of treatment is the psychological distress. And we want to, you know, be there with, you know, with the men and be telling them it's okay to talk about this stuff. And the conversations I've had with other men, a lot of them don't feel like they can talk about it because women have like the, they have the psychological, but they also have the physical toll. You know, our jobs are very simple, you know, like compared to what women go through. And I think they feel like, well, like what I go through is nothing compared to what they go. So I, I don't want to bring it up. And that's not the case because a lot of times that stuff just sits in festers and it morphs into like miscommunication you know, I mean, there's a number of times and even to my, my own personal experience where like I was stressed and I was like not doing well mentally, but that I would see my wife distressed and, you know, 
and here her coworker had another you know baby announcement and and in my head i'm like i i don't want to burden her right you know it's like i don't like she's already stressed like i don't want to add her worry to for me so like i'm just going to keep it in right and, and that led to a lot of miscommunication of like how in quote unquote i didn't care right that was her perception which was not even remotely the close and we see that mm -hmm. a lot with other men that they don't talk about it they don't talk about what their struggles are because in some level they feel like it's almost disrespectful to women because what they're going through is you know like they have like the dual factor where we have one and interesting to know right. you know not just on on you know male factors if you look at the statistics today people don't realize that half of all infertility cases not because of unexplained infertility it's actually 50 percent infertility cases are actually because of male factor the male partner and the world yeah, i thought it was one third so that's higher than the statistics i had seen 50 percent which is which wow. is a really high number and what we found also you know is, is about educating and the way we're talking about this whole thing that men relate to it very differently men typically what we found are not willing to go to a support group are not willing to go to a therapist they like to have natural conversations so we like to say about our programming that our programming is going to be side by side man by man so what do i mean by that let's say guys have similar interests like music we're going to pair them up so they can play music together and experience the whole situation and talk about a natural setting if they like hiking let them go on a hike together play a game of golf right side by side tends to really help and open up the guys in a natural way that they feel comfortable and I have to ask a question and I'll try to ask as carefully as I can. I mean, obviously we're talking about something that is designed for men, which is a very, very gendered language, but you, I mean, a lot of your language you come at is very heteronormative. Are you all talking about also supporting men going through loss in the LGBTQ or trans community as well? So we are predominantly in the heterosexual community. We're not really dealing so much in the lgbtq population however i will say that if someone is going through the surrogacy process and that man you know that that, that person who, who is the surrogate experiences a miscarriage then of course we will be there for the man to support them on that journey and give them whatever resources they need but we're not necessarily going out of way you know that's not necessarily our, our target market but if someone is going, if someone is going through that process with a surrogate and they experience a miscarriage, then we are certainly there for them throughout throughout the process. We'll never like not accept somebody. You know, if there's somebody that comes through our door and is wanting help, like we are by all means ever going to help them. We're also like partnering like with like you know like men having babies, you know, and different organizations that are really focused on that that possibly whatever may be a better resource at this time but if somebody comes through our door and what is wanting our service like absolutely like we'll never turn anybody away i so i know men having babies doesn't offer any resources like that either at this point in time so um you had mentioned early on like when sorry off the air before we start talking like talking we were just kind of chit-chatting to start and so i stopped you because i wanted to wait um 
you had talked about kind of another resource that you had talked about was with sperm banks. Tell me a little bit about that because the little bit we started sounded really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't remember what got me thinking into it, but I started thinking about like the men that go to donate sperm. And I had a conversation with a gentleman from Seattle Sperm Bank at ACRM this year. And I asked him, it's like, you know, like, what do you normally do? You know, um, hold on. I don't know why. Are you guys still hearing me? I hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. I'll just make sure. Um, but at ASRM, I said, like, how many, like, of the people that go to donate sperm, how many of them, like, don't meet the requirements? And he has said, like, it's about 10%. 10% do not meet the requirements for the World Health Organization standards. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, what do you do for them that, like, afterwards? And essentially, you know, he said, like, you know, we essentially give them a letter saying that, you know, you don't meet the require requirements to become a donor. And, you know, and for them, like, they're not the treating physician, so they, they, they can't give them any sort of medical information about, like, what that is. And I'm like, that, that, that's, that's a problem. Like, here you just dropped a bomb on a guy, you know, that's trying to do something good, right? And all of a sudden, like, he's not, like, eligible. Like, what does that mean? Um, so, like, we talked about, like, being, you know, also a resource for, like, those men. So it's like, like, hey, I got these abnormal results. Like, I don't know what this means. Like, I don't know where to go. And, you know, partnering with, like, Seattle Sperm Bank to say, like, hey, like, we'll help you. Like, we'll help you to figure out, like, like what is the next steps? You know, like, what is, whether that's, like, going to see a urologist or what, you know, what does it all mean? Um, but it's it's another avenue that I like as men, we don't often think about the men that are going to donate sperm because I think we have this automatic assumption that like, Oh, like if they're going to go donate sperm, they're going to be good. Not the case, you know, like it's a 10% letter do not meet requirements and they get their drop with this bomb and then left with nothing. Yeah. So, and, it, and it's interesting that that's what we found with the sperm banks, right? The, I, it's one in 10, right? Every, every day they're turning people away and they don't tell them why or low motility. So we want to be there to support them. And guys are very hurt by that. Um, so, you know, it's really important that we're, we're there to support them through, through that journey because the earlier, you know, the better, like I, I would love I, in, in my dreams that just like you go for your annual physical to your primary care physician, that a semen analysis and looking not just a semen analysis for low motility or azospermia that also for DNA fragmentation is included in there. Make sure that men are able to find out early on because if they find out early on, there are interventions that they can take as opposed to finding out when you're you know, 30, 40 years old, when you're trying to have a child. Makes sense. Um, so if someone's hearing this and they're thinking, yes, like I, I'm in a place where I need support, I know you mentioned the side-by-side is kind of often the best. So tell me kind of like logistically, are you pairing them up with someone locally who's going through the same thing? Are they meeting online? What does that look like? The goal, the goal is to pair them up by location. That's, that's our ultimate goal. Similar interest in location. Eventually we want to have an app to be able to, to pair people up, you know, remotely using AI and all these different options. But right now, 
it's we're not doing it necessarily based on location we're doing it based on similar interests and based on you know we have a system where where we're looking for the volunteers uh and pairing them up they're talking on the phone either zoom they hopefully will meet up in person there's various ways we can do it that they're in touch throughout the process at least once a week that they're in touch yeah so like for our peer-to-peer program um which is something that we started developing, what, it was last June, actually. Um, we had our first strategic meetings in in Newark. Um, and one of the things that we came out of that is, like, we wanted to connect volunteers. Like, like ideally, it, it would be locally, but also realizing, you know, our volunteers, like, in locations, sometimes that takes time, you know, and we want to get going to the point where like we just want to get people like the help that they need but the the three main things that we're really kind of focused on is improving the communication with partners a lot of times that miscommunication whether it can really harm the relationship and getting men to be able to communicate you know at least in some level about like their feelings and, and emotions, which is not something that's typically we normally do, but getting them more comfortable and hopefully enhancing that relationship, um, improving the communication, you know, improving coping skills, the coping skills that we once used prior to infertility no longer work sometimes, you know, the days where if you're stressed and like, you just want to go out and hang out with friends, that's not always the case anymore. Like they, they're not like some people might have kids and it's a little bit more difficult. You know, some friends may not understand the infertility journey, so that's not helpful. So it's figuring out like those coping skills, but then also brainstorming those ideas. A lot of times, you know, when men are grieving, like they, they want to do that problem solving. We want to fix something. Right. And giving them some just different strategies about, like, what can you do in these certain situations where you have at least some semblance of control? Because a lot of it's out of control. There's a lot of things that you don't have control over throughout this whole journey, but there are things that you can do to give you some sense of control and some, like, sense of helping. Um, so, like, for example, we just got through the holidays, right? And holidays are stressful for those going through infertility because you literally are like being bombarded with questions and like, when are you going to have kids and you know, like, or they ask about IVF and you don't want to talk about it. So it's like giving them those tools of like, what are some of those rehearsed, like practiced replies to somebody that you feel is being intrusive, right? It's giving them strategies that like, maybe you have a code word that, you know, if your partner's not doing well, code word let's go run an errand right i mean just like get out of the house go for a drive and really just helping them give them those little strategies but then also thinking about like meds right how do we pay for meds my wife and i did a zero interest 24 month credit card and we put all the meds on that credit card and we paid it off in 24 months right the little tricks, right, that you don't think of. You know, I hear about people that are, like, I when I was at ASRM, I heard about a couple that sold their house to pay for IVF. It's like those things, like, it just, it makes me sad. 
you know, like that somebody would have to sell their house for a not, not even a guarantee. You know, and, and to think about like if okay, if IVF doesn't work, what are you gonna do now? Like now you don't have a house. So it's like brainstorming those ideas of problem solving and like helping them and being side by side, you know, like men and and women or those identifying bad and those identifying women sometimes grieve differently. And you know, and not everybody goes this way, but like for some men, like they're very much very instrumental in their grieving. They do tasks, they do things, and they just go through through all of it. And some are more like intuitive, right? Like more thinking in the head. And you know, for we just want to be alongside them, like with however the support looks like for them, to be there with them, like through this journey, because we we really don't want like. A lot of us felt alone in this journey, and we really don't want that for anybody else. I also noticed another uh, resource that Men's Helpline has that is, of course, a mode that we are partial to is that you guys have a podcast. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. The podcast, I, I like to we call it the Men Talk Podcast, and essentially the podcast is a space for men to come on onto the show. And they open up, they share their stories and their journeys, and they offer tips to other guys. Oftentimes what happens is this podcast gives them a space like a therapy session without it actually being therapy because they become very emotional and they're able to express themselves throughout what happened and give tips to other guys. So we have guys from all over the world who have come on the show, Australia, United States, Canada, Ireland. I mean, you name it. There are guys all over the, the country who have come on because infertility is... I like to say a pandemic it's one in six couples struggle with it now and it's only expanding so this podcast has reached thousands of people and have helped help so many get through this tough journey it's a space for them to open up in addition we expanded our podcast to not only just be for individuals who have gone through the fertility journey and miscarriage and you know this lost journey but to professionals as well to offer their insights their tips their advice as well so we're having doctors we're having nurses we're having specialists come on and, and share their insights yeah the biggest reason why we like wanted to add like the the experts to come on is as as men like we don't know our own reproductive system let alone our partners and if there's ways that men can feel like they can take something from that and learn about it, whether that's like if their partner has PCOS, you know, like, or endometriosis, you know, what is, what is that? Like, what does that look like? What are some of the other things that go along with that? Um, and really to help men feel like empowered and knowledge, right? A lot of times men, they, they don't go to these appointments because they feel like, Oh, like this is, this is her, this is her world, right? Like, they don't feel like they have the voice to talk about like what questions you have, like what, you know, and we really want to take like, we don't want to take away from, from like the support that women get like this, like they get this part of the, and they deserve all that support. And we're very conscious about how, you know, giving support to men 
especially with reproductive rights, you know, in the political landscape as it is right now, like we're very conscious of that. And we don't want to take away, you know, from like the support that women get, like we want to enhance it, right? Because if we support men and they're feeling like like psychologically like, well, right? They're doing well. That in turn is going to enhance the relationship and like the whole, really the couple, right? So that's like a big thing with us is like, do we have that awareness of, you know, like with Rover Sway being turned back, this is not taken away from, from women at all. Like we really hope that by giving men the support that they need, that this will enhance like the relationship and have some trickle effects of just overall psychological well-being. And the other thing that I want to add to that, it's not just about the psychological well-being. We want to make sure that couples are, are strong together together throughout this journey and this process. And if men have those tools, that is key because unfortunately, as we know it, there are so many cases of divorce guys turning to suicide, to drugs, and to alcohol as a result of going through IVF and a miscarriage because of not having enough resources and not being able to share share their stories and to open up and to get the help that they need. So we want to prevent that, that all. We want to make sure that the guys are strong to begin with. In addition, we want to get them more involved in, in the treatment plans. For example, one of the things that I'd love to do, and I think Stephen would agree with me, is to, when someone is going for retrieval, Right, and the men are doing it. They want to make it more comfortable for the men, and we also want to include them in the process of the retrieval. So, advocate for them. If you're just like you're allowed to be in the room if your kid is having an operation, when you're allowed in the room for for the transfer aspect, include the men in some way or form, whether it be through television, whether it be allowing them in the room for part of the for a part of the retrieval, because we men are worried sick about our wives, you know, as they're going through this retrieval process. And that's have you have you talked to medical professionals about how that could logistically be possible because i think part of the reason that you can't be in for a retrieval is because it's a it's a scrubbed in or right so some, it it really depends on 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 the clinic themselves but yes it is a sterile environment i have heard that um but again i it, any sterile invite when you have when you're allowed in for for a c-section that's a that's also a sterile environment you're allowed in if your child is having an operation so so too in the sterile environment and there are certain things you're allowed to do we have to be able to fi- figure a way to incorporate the men throughout that process i'm not saying it's going to be an easy task but that's something that men would feel more comfortable with there and different things like encouraging the men to give their wives you know the shots throughout the process um, going to the doctor's appointment, simple little tidbits that, that can help throughout the process. But definitely when it comes to the retrieval day, being allowed into that procedure room would be huge for men. But there are definitely complications as it is an OR room. And yes, sterile is, is important to keep it sanitary. But at the same time, you know, you're worried sick. And, it's, and, and, and having a child, it's it's a process. It's a journey. You know, it's it, in a lot of cases, people say it's, it's intimate. People think, you know, the sperm meets the egg and that's how you make a baby. And for guys going through IVF, they don't have that opportunity to really take part in that process. So that's something they're lacking. And we have to find a creative solution for that. And I think hopefully it'll come over time and I think it'll help people. But again, that's not necessarily the main focus, but that's 
what are the things I would love to do? Yeah, I mean, whether that's video, like, or, you know, some sort of, I don't know, I mean, because, I mean, I can remember, like, our very first retrieval day, and it was, it was literally on my birthday, like, it was on my, on my birthday, and, like, I had no idea what to expect, you know, I had no idea, like, that she was gonna put, you know, put under, and all that stuff, and I just, I remember her being wheeled out of, the retrieval room and looking at her and i mean as anybody that comes out of anesthesia i mean it looked all like drugged up and i can remember internally thinking i'm like is this worth it like is it worth putting her through this you know because like i hated seeing her like that like i hated seeing you know and part of it was because you know the male factor in fertility I took ownership of, like, I put more weight on my issue than hers. Like, even though it was dual factor, I put more weight on my issue. And I felt like a tremendous amount of guilt. Like, like here she's going through all this physical, the toll, the shots, the hormones, you know, and all these different things. And I just, like, in, the, in my head, I'm like, is this all worth it? You know, and in the end, absolutely, you know, like we had a, a good outcome. And, you know, I can say that not everybody has that, you know, not everybody has that really good outcome. And I can look back and say that it was worth it, but in the middle of it, I don't, I don't know if it, it was, right? Like I had a hard time with that. You know, it sounds like there's a lot where, of opportunities for education, definitely, with clinics like, about like, hey, this is actually going to happen. If you didn't even know she was going to be put under, you know, that that's definitely, that sounds like an amazing opportunity for education from you guys. But it also doesn't, it also doesn't stem just at clinics. We don't stop just at clinics. We obviously we're working with a lot of clinics right now. We're in the discharge paperwork notes of, of one clinic, um, but the education has to stem further back. We have to look yeah. at our education system throughout our high schooling, throughout college, if you're required to take a sex ed class and understand how that works, it needs to be discussed in schools about what is infertility? What is it miscarriage? What is male factor? What is secondary infertility? Because if you start early on in the education process, then people will understand it going forward and the importance of making sure that you don't have it. If you do have it, that you can get treated and the more normalized the conversation will be. Can you imagine it becomes part of, you know, I'll take New York state as an example. You have a, you have a health curriculum. Imagine it becomes part of New York state department education requirements as part of the health curriculum and any other state for that matter. Once you start talking about early on, I think it again, normalizes the conversation and raises that awareness aspect that this is real. The interesting thing was, is um, I remember hearing and meeting like Elizabeth Carr, and I think she was speaking at uh, the MRSI conference in Chicago, and she was talking about like growing up, you know, knowing that she was the first IVF baby in the United States, and she talked about her experience about sex ed, and they were talking about the normal like the, the what we would you know quote unquote normal what it is right the, the normal way of conceiving a child right 
but she had raised her hand and said, like, that's not the only way. And the teacher was kind of like thrown back a little bit. And she's like, like, what do you mean? Like, and she said, like, I was, you know, like conceived by IDF. And it very much just looks normalized, but it takes, I mean, it took her a lot of courage to like basically just like call the teacher out and say, like, that's not the only way. Like, I wish like we had more of that. You know, we had more. I, mean, of, I, yeah. I will admit, in that case, since she was the first child conceived that way, it probably was not necessarily on everybody's radar quite yet. No. So. Right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you think about. But it, I agree. Probably... Now it's forty years later. So. Right. It, I mean, like it is a very normal part. I mean, like you think about how many people are conceived by IVF or other, you know, technology. It is such a normal place, but yet we still don't talk about it like we it's like this this little mystery you know that like oh like i don't know it's like it's it shouldn't be a mystery you know like it should be you know a part of even you know like for those that you know feel like marriage right i mean there's pre-marriage counseling like that it should be a part of that conversation too like there's there's so many avenues that we could get into and it's highlighting it you know i know like asrm is is doing a better job of getting into some of the curriculums like at the at the, the college level if you think about how much goes into ivf there's biology there's genetics there's you know nursing there's mental health you know like there's so many multi it's a multi-disciplinary field and I remember that somebody had posted about how there's a shortage of embryologists. There's a shortage because they have no idea that infertility exists and they have no idea that this field exists. And so like I told them like, you have to bring it to them. Like you have to be able to shed light on this topic because they're not even thinking about having kids in their twenties. Like they're not, I, I definitely was not, you know, but there's such, such an expanding field. We got to bring it to them, you know, and let them know, like, hey, this 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 issue exists, and here's the field you can get into. Like, whether that's being a geneticist or an embryologist or med schools or whatever, you know, like, there's so many opportunities to bring infertility into like the forefront of the conversation. Absolutely. And, and the, the nice thing also what I'm seeing, at least a trend, is there's so many technology companies that are coming on board now. And there's so many ways to circumvent, not necessarily, you know, infertility, but there's so much assistive technology now that can pinpoint what's good embryos, what's not good embryos, how good is your sperm, how good are how good are the eggs, you know, when is when is the woman menstruating and all these other technology facets that are helping and assisting throughout the IVF process. I think ultimately it's really going to come from the tech companies and, and through the assistive technology that I think long-term we're going to see better results within, within the fertility community because there are all these tech companies and there's their influencers and especially not just within tech, but you see more and more that athletes and influencers are coming out and sharing their stories. And you see in the NFL players are wearing 
cleats that are saying, you know, for one cause and which organizations they want, they're, they're sharing their stories that they've experienced miscarriage, that they've experienced infertility, that they've experienced a stillborn. And the more that those type of people share their stories and become public about it, the more the general public feels, wow, if they're sharing their story, I can as well. Yeah, I definitely noticed that element on your website where it had picture after picture of celebrities who have openly have been open about going through infertility or similar issues. That was, again, with that theme of not feeling alone is always kind of nice. Yeah. And like to give an example of how much work we need to do in this space, even at the ASRM conference this last October, I had attended a talk on giving the patient like bad news. And it was, you know, a psychologist and a medical doctor. And there was maybe about 30 of us who were in the room. And I am one like not to say things. Like I like to observe and just kind of process and then like then I kind of say my thoughts, but during the whole time, like they gave case scenarios about how, you know, like the women had a miscarriage or they, you know, they did IVF and the transfer didn't work. And, you know, and they asked, like, you know, they asked like the audience of like, you know, how would you, you know, approach that? Like, how would you have some of those difficult conversations? And not one person had thought to ask the, like, the male partner. Not one. No one even thought to ask, like, if they had a miscarriage, like, asking the male, like, you know, like, how are you doing? This was October. Like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to be able to include, you know, check-ins and finding creative ways to, like, include men and check in with them. I can probably guarantee, but I would say probably like 75% of the time, men are probably going to be really focused on supporting their, their partners and wives. But can clinics call the man like individually one-on-one, like a couple days or three days later, right? And check in, like, how are you doing? Like, I know this is tough, you know, like for her, but like, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, it should be part of the everyday conversation, you know, and finding like those creative ways to include men and help them feel like, I don't have to like put this burden on my shoulders and just swallow it. You know, I, I need somewhere to like put this grief and this loss that I just experienced. Like I, I need to do something with it. So there actually is one clinic and there's a sex therapist who works for, for this clinic in Mays Health called Paul Nelson. And it's really interesting that at this particular clinic, he's actually on staff there and sees every single patient that walks in the door, even before they see the urologist, because he needs to make sure that this patient is ready to go and has the emotional capacity to take this on before they start treatment. And if they're not, give him the resources that he needs before they do it, because it's such an emotional toll. And it's really critical that they do check in with the patients. You know, how are you doing? And how are you coping with it as opposed to just, just the woman? Because the men, we are suffering in silence. And, and nobody ever asks that question. Because they're always thinking about how can we solve the emergent situation and not the holistic per- perspective of 
It's yeah. about the couple. It's about the journey and not this is an emergent situation. I mean, it sounds like you guys have an amazing resource to to add to obviously what other the other resources are out there. Any final thoughts for our listeners? I would say to your listeners, remember you're not alone, to be strong, that there are resources for you. And the most critical thing to do throughout this process is to stay optimistic, stay positive, don't go down a WebMD route because that's a very dark place. Uh, but talk to people about it. Talk to your spouse, talk to friends, talk to colleagues, because you never know. The person to your left, the person to your right, most likely knows somebody that has gone through it. They might not admit it outright, but the statistic is that high. Know that you're not alone. Know that you can be strong. Know that these struggles oftentimes make you stronger. And everything is, you know, is, is happening for a reason. So don't don't take it for granted that that you're struggling with this because there are thousands and thousands of people going through the same thing that you are. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, then I'll just add, like, I mean, if they can come to our website, like, we are adding the um, participant form as well. Like, if you have people that are interested in being a participant and are programming, but then also we're always looking for volunteers too. Like, there's no better way to make sense of your experience than to give back and make meaning of what you went through. It's exactly what Daniel and I are like, are doing with this with our nonprofit is like, we had that experience. We're doing something with it. Like we're giving back. So if there's anybody that Amazing. wants to volunteer, like there, the form is on there uh, on our website and. And I'm sure we'll have it in the, in the show notes with this. Thank you both so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation and helping all those who are who are going on this journey. Thank you to Stephen and Daniel. Um, we always hear, appreciate and are inspired by those who take hard times in their life and really work to, to make things better for those in the future. Absolutely. And... For those who want to send comments or thoughts, our phone number is 303-997-1903. I love that last week, Ellen was like to repeat it, to pause for people to get a pen, except that I know the reality <laughs> that most people are probably listening to this while they're walking or in the car. So um, for all the time, like, huh, we're going to give you this number. You're never going to find it. It's also at the bottom of our webpage. If you go to I want to put a baby in you.com mm, right, yeah. where you can find merch as well. So if you want joggers with sperm on them, wearing headphones or a phone case or a mug, you know, all those things are there. Um, so thanks for visiting if you do, but more than that, thank you, of course, to our team, to Melissa, to Tyler, and to Amanda, who make us sound amazing. They take what we've got and they polish us up really nicely. Um, and of course, thank you to all of you who come and listen. Mm -hmm.